Welcome to the Being Human podcast with Amelia Vegting and Jez Francis. Brought to you by Just Add Water. Hello, I'm Amelia Vegting. And I'm Jez Francis. Welcome to the Being Human podcast, where we explore what it means to be human in this world we find ourselves living in. Amelia, here we are, episode one. Exciting, isn't it? What are we going to be doing today? So today we're going to be talking about connection and why we need the company of others. We're going to be joined a little bit later on by a wonderful lady, Claire Box, from The Real Junk Food Project, who has combined her passion for food and desire to help others into the amazing community work that she does. But before we get into all of that, Jez, quick question for you. How have you felt connected to those around you over the last couple of days? Um, as you know, we recently celebrated my dear old mum's 84th birthday. Um, so that was me, my wife and the kids, coupled with my sister, her husband and uh, their children. Lovely. All over at my mum and dad's for an afternoon of arguing about whether or not we've got the right cake or the right slice of cake in my case, um, and whether or not Granny sort of spat on the cake as she was blowing out her two candles. But um, it was lovely. It was lovely to all be together, surrounded by people that we love yeah, and enjoying each other's company, really. What is it about spending time with your family that's important to you? And how, how did that make you feel? So let's be clear, you know, we argue a lot as a family. It's not always harmonious. Every family can relate to that. I feel personally that I can really be myself. It's us, but without any filters, yeah. which is really, really nice. And, it, you know, it's interesting. So this isn't the house where I grew up. They've moved a couple of times since then. Mm-hmm. So it's not the bricks and mortar that I know as a youngster, but I'm surrounded by bits of furniture, photographs of family, photographs of my grandparents, my parents' grandparents as well. All the memories. So all the memories, the stories that we tell and that we keep, you know, you know me well, Amelia, the stories that we keep retelling. Yes. um, And the fact that we've got sort of three generations there. So there's a connectedness both in terms of the place, the people, the stuff around me, the visual cues. Yeah. All of those sort of things make me feel like I belong. I feel a bit like a a piece of a jigsaw puzzle that sort of slots into place when I'm in that environment and it it feels right. Yeah, that sounds lovely. I think I can totally relate to that from family perspective we grew up in well my family home is the home we've always been in but that's interesting that as you move it doesn't matter that space it's the memories that you have in that environment and now that I've moved out when you go home you're just sort of slightly reminded of those but it's your your comfort your home spot what about you Amelia what springs to mind for you when we're thinking about being connected to others over the last couple of weeks um well mine takes a slightly different um approach because I got reminded of what it feels like when a connection doesn't <laughs> doesn't go ahead. Um, since 2020, uh, September, I've been doing a master's part-time as well as working. And the people that I was meant to go out for dinner with the other week were the group of girls who are also the part-time students. And we've sort of remained in contact doing this master's together over the last two and a bit years, finally in the, in the run-up to getting it all finished and crossing T's. The last and, push. Exactly. But we were all meant to go out for dinner and it was one of those things that takes forever to organise with various doodle polls being sent out, getting everybody's availability in. And then at the last minute, somebody, I think the housemate had COVID, somebody else had got caught up late with work. So we, we ended up not going ahead because too many people dropped out the last minute, which totally happens. Life gets in the way. But it did make me reflect on what it is about those group of people that I do enjoy spending time with and even the fact that we built our relationship of a virtual one 
we have that common interest that we were all really wanting to do this masters and we've got that commonality and that common interest and we've been able to you know remain friends working with each other and supporting each other through what is a very independent piece of work but we've done it i feel as a group and mm. i think when we graduate all together next summer that's going to be a really nice moment with a really special group of people it is interesting isn't it that sort of shared interest and, and shared purpose of being together that's possibly a topic we should explore in, in an episode of the future yeah definitely i'm getting a nod from chris our producer <laughs> there <laughs> So over the course of this podcast, we're going to be exploring all sorts of things about being human. Um, but the reality is that much of the day-to-day -day experience for lots of us is actually quite dull and quite mundane. So we thought we ought to celebrate that in a, in a, in a sort of a segment or a feature we're going to call Boring Things About Me. So, Amelia, let me ask you, um, what's been your highlight, should we say, <laughs> should we say uh, of the last week or so? So I um, was traveling back from Bristol over the weekend, got into Paddington on a very busy train. And as I was on the tube heading back home, I perfectly got on the carriage, which meant that as I was swapping from the Bakerloo line to the Victoria line, I had the least amount of walking up and down the platforms to do. So straight off one carriage through the little archway, straight over to the other platform and bang on the carriage I needed to be on the Victoria line. It was um, seamless, I would say. Perfect, Perfect travel efficiency. <laughs> Fascinating, Fascinating, I know. And Jez, your highlight. So, so this weekend I helped move my in-laws from uh, a little town in North Wales down to Cardiff which involved hiring a big van and driving up with my brother-in-law and, and sort of loading a van up and driving it back down. In the van was a, a huge box of saucepans that ah. are meant to work on an induction hob. Oh, nice. Which my wife had said, if those are going free, yes. grab them because we, we need some. I did ask. I did ask. <laughs> I didn't just take them. Loaded into my car in Cardiff and then driven back home. And it turns out they don't work on our hob. Oh. So there we go. Uh, <laughs> boring thing... <laughs> <laughs> Boring things about me. Yeah. <laughs> so why connection as the topic for today then, Jez? So there's a story that I've heard about over the last few years that I wanted to explore in a bit more detail. Um, Amelia, you've heard me talk about my allotment. In fact, you've heard me talk yeah. about not much else, if the truth <laughs> be told. Um, we had a meeting with the people that run the allotment society near where I am. And this meeting took place in a place called um, the Men's Shed, mm. um, which is not as exclusive as it sounds, I should stress. But it's a place where men can come together, make and mend things and talk about life as they do. I think it was a project that was driven out of Australia where they wanted to do something to try and tackle the instance of mental ill health and suicide actually amongst men of a certain age right. who are not very good at talking about um, yeah. how they feel, basically. So hence the men's shed. But this meeting took place there. And as it was being described to us, the building in which we were having this conversation, yeah. uh, what it was and, and, and why it was important, it got me thinking about a story that I'd remembered reading about um, way back when which also had a men's shed as part of it. So mm -hmm. I did some digging and I found some articles that, uh, and, and did some research on what's called the Compassionate Froome Project. So that's a town in Somerset called Froome. So this was started by uh, a lady called um, Helen Kingston, a GP, 
back in 2013, um, she kept coming across patients in her practice that were being seen as a cluster of health problems um, and illnesses rather than as a whole human being, and in part driven by the lack of connectedness between the different services that they were accessing or needing to access. And so Helen decided that she wanted to try and do something about this. So the first step was to create a list of all of the agencies and community groups that provide support to these patients so that Helen and her colleagues could see where the gaps were initially and start to progressively fill those gaps. Alongside that, they employed a handful of paid health connectors, they called them, whose responsibility it was to sort of connect patients to the services that they needed, whether that was how to handle debt, how to use the internet, joining an exercise group or a choir, or using the men's shed, which is mm. the, the point I made earlier on. So um, it wasn't just health initiatives. They were also not, not just necessarily. No, it or was connecting people. Both health and community services. Right. So providing a, a map, if you like, a landscape of all of these things that people could use okay. and, and benefit from, and then actually connecting individuals to them as well. Mm-hmm. The theory was that illness reduces people's ability to socialise, which leads to isolation and loneliness, which then exacerbates illness, both mental and physical. Mm-hmm. Um, the science behind that, I, I believe, is that sort of way back when in our sort of evolutionary past, you know, early humans, we would isolate ourselves when we became ill because sickness made us vulnerable to attack. So when sick, our bodies would ramp up inflammation to protect us from injury and, and, and wounding and so on. But here's the the kicker, you know, chronic inflammation is now thought to contribute towards depression. And in a cruel twist of fate, our immune system appears to take some of its cues from our social environment. So when we are isolated today, inflammation is more likely to occur, which in turn can lead to further isolation and depression and illness. So basically, isolation and loneliness is not a good thing. No. And the data from Froome appears to show that when isolated people who have health problems are supported by community groups and volunteers, uh, the, the number of emergency admissions to A&E falls dramatically. I think, if I remember correctly, the research suggested that A&E admissions fell by 20% in Froome compared with a 30% increase across the rest of the county, uh, you know, similar towns with similar demographics. And there's lots of studies from elsewhere as well that show that you know, stronger social connections result in lower death rates, lower virus levels in HIV patients, for example, better survival rates for those with certain types of cancer. And amazingly, you know, older people who've got two or more chronic illnesses don't actually have higher death rates than those without any chronic disease, as long as they have high levels of social support. I found that fascinating. So it made me wonder as well whether the fact that, you know, so many of us build online communities of friends these days and allow us to socialise with people all over the world, whether that makes a difference to the quality of, and the value of those connections. I've got family over in over in the Netherlands and actually now the fact that we're all on one WhatsApp group with our grandma, we say Omar in Dutch, but um, yeah, our Omar can see all what we're up to when we're posting pictures in actually does keep us connected. But thinking about it, that came from a really core sense of connection that we're family initially to start with and this virtual way of connecting has just increased our capacity to talk to each other quicker and more frequently mm. but we definitely didn't start off as a, a virtual family. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting during the pandemic the the Office of National Statistics suggested that the number of people who reported feeling lonely jumped from one in ten to one in four 
So that might suggest that whilst you know online connections are really important, and, mm. and let's not you know, that's there's, there's no denying that yeah. physical connection, real physical connection with others, is what really makes a difference. Perhaps when we're talking about you know loneliness and, yeah. and isolation. What was it about this story that stood out to you as you were researching and reading the articles? Well, it's got lots of layers to it, I, I remember thinking. you know, One of which is that it's not just the people who felt lonely or who were sick that f- felt the benefits, you know, or the, the pressure on the GP practice and the hospital teams that eased. It's very much those uh, involved in helping others. You know, humility and compassion benefits those that give as mm. well as those who receive help. I was struck by the notion also that we can all quite easily play a part. You know, you don't have to be a medical professional or a drug research scientist to make someone a cup of tea or, you know, to pop in um, on your way to the shops and ask if they need anything or to help them get their, their bins out on the right day, for example. Yeah, it's those smaller acts of kindness and that really do bring us together as, as people. So, Amelia, what did you, you know, you've read the articles that, that I dug up. What was your take on it? Um, Yes, I did indeed. And I think that, you know, the statistics that you were saying speak for themselves about the GP appointments and the health of health of the town. There was one bit where Helen um, was talking. They took a direct quote, must have been from an interview that they did, where Helen shared, it's not just lonely people who benefit from more social connections. We all have that basic human need and recognising the fact that you can support people and not wait until there's a crisis. So I I think it's just highlighting that connections need to be built in order to be a preventative and develop resilience exactly rather than waiting for some i can imagine when you're already lonely that finding those connections is more difficult whereas to stop yourself or to stop others feeling more lonely is is really where the magic of connections can also take place they said a couple of times if it came in a pill form it would be a wonder drug which you know obviously with what we've been talking about makes total sense but I think there is something about the fact that connections take time and so much in our world now is trying to speed things up and make shortcuts for things and actually if I sit and stop and think about the connections that really mean a lot to me it's people that you know have either known for a short period of time or a long period of time but a lot of effort both ways has has gone into it Mm. um and it, it takes it takes time and investment of your time and of, of that person's time and emotion to really develop a connection. And it's not something that I believe can happen completely overnight. It, it needs work both ways. You can be surrounded by lots and lots and lots of people. You know, I'm on the tube every morning. You're on the train coming in. But it could be easy to feel isolated in a in a hustling and bustling yeah. city surrounded by people but lonely exactly yeah. i think that was actually something that helen drew upon in the articles cuz she said that she experienced loneliness as the f- for the first time when she was a junior doctor moving from hospital to hospital in her first couple of years and actually what kept her going and and made made those experiences special were the individual acts of kindness it was you know people making you a cup of tea or a coffee when you're at on the those horrendous shift exactly yeah, yeah. when yeah. you're the, the last couple of hours of a night shift or you know you're just getting going knowing you've got 12 hours ahead of you and it, so it is all those small the little small things we can be doing to remain connected in a busy busy world that we find ourselves in for sure well look, it's a fascinating story the compassionate Froome project so it's well worth well worth looking into because it actually 
It's very, very uplifting. Very uplifting. And yeah. it sort of talks about something that I think inherently we know. Exactly. And also there are other articles coming about places in Australia that have taken this approach. I think other countries across Europe and other towns have, and they're seeing, they are seeing the same thing. There's nobody who's not seeing a benefit to doing this. So, Amelia, you and your family have been involved in a local project with some similarities to Compassionate Froome. Let's talk about that, if we may. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for the last couple of years, my family's been involved um, with a project called The Real Junk Food Project, which is based out of Twickenham, that focuses on diverting surplus food destined to landfill from supermarkets. And instead of it ending up in landfill, it is served and cooked up back to the community out of a cafe three times a week. And then on other few days, it's a sort of surplus hub um, to go get surplus food from. But I think it's now a very good time to introduce our very first guest to the podcast. Welcome, Claire Box, the founder and director of The Real Junk Food Project. Welcome, Claire. Yes, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So, Claire, before we get to talking about The Real Junk Food Project... Would you mind if we asked you a couple of questions to get to know you a little bit better? Yes, of course. No problem. Okay, so question number one, what's made you smile this week? Well, I've just moved literally a few days ago and I haven't stopped smiling since. (laughs) Oh, lovely. So yeah, I'm in a lovely new space, just getting organised, unpacking things I haven't seen for over a year, which is lovely. New beginnings. New beginnings, yes. Okay, so let me ask you another question. So, um... Which great human would you have dinner with and why, do you think? Now, that is a tricky one. The first person that I would normally say would be the guy who compares the um, come dine with me, because I just think he's really funny. (laughs) No one's ever said that before. (laughs) Yeah, because he should be at the dinner table for a change rather than in the background. It's so true. I've never thought about that. That's brilliant. (laughs) Um, if not, Gino De Campo, his uh, Italian passion for food is, you know, and he's funny as well. So I think he, he'd be a good one. I'm seeing a theme emerging here. Yeah, come dine yes, with me. I am a foodaholic. <laughs> <laughs> we thought we'd have a little go of something. So would you mind telling us two things about you that is true and one thing which is a lie? And then Jez and I will see if we can work out which is the lie. Okay, so when I was 17... I worked out in Tenerife and we were getting the last flight home before Christmas and we didn't end up being on that flight, but our bags were. And the next flight back was the day after New Year's Day. So our families didn't believe that that was the case and we were just having a great time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have a banana smoothie every morning before I go out and Mm. I can swim a kilometre in under half an hour. Okay. There was quite a bit of detail on the first story. Yeah, which suggests it could be true. The banana smoothie is food related, so I think that's probably true. Yeah, that's a good one. And does Claire swim? I, th- I think the swimming might be the lie. Okay, we'll go with Amelia. Which was your fib? It was the banana smoothie. No. Oh, no way! Oh, no. My, my husband can't stand bananas. It's either the smell of them. So um, he makes me a coffee in the morning, not a banana smoothie. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm at the cafe. You said that with such confidence. That had you us fooled, fooled me. You got yeah, me. Definitely. <laughs> and there's a definite food theme <laughs> running through. Well, running well I suppose through. it makes perfect sense considering Claire's role in the Real Junk Food Project, which is all orientated yes. around food. So, 
would you mind just giving us an introduction to your role there, what the project does? Yeah, lovely. So um, we give people the opportunity to come and have um, access to fresh, healthy food that's created into meals. Um, They take food home from the surplus hub. They have surplus surprises every day, which is nice. It's a page of fill basis as well. So if people don't have you know, the, the means to, to give us a donation. We're non-judgmental, so we don't direct people to the donation boxes or things like that. So, And we give them takeaway food as well if they need it. Sometimes it could be the only fresh meal that, or hot meal that they have until the cafe's open mm-hmm. again. So it's so nice that we're actually in a position to be able to help people and create different creations depending on what we have coming during the day. Mm. It's different so, every day, is it, presumably, what arrives? Yes, we don't know what we get until the morning. So we could have crates and crates of broccoli one day and a load of oranges the next day. It's, it's, it's like ready, steady cook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take us through a day then. How, what, how does the day start? So the, the day starts with the volunteers or, and or myself going out, driving around to the different supermarkets. Um, we've got Tesco's, Waitrose, M&S. Um, they'll collect the food donations and then we bring them back to either the cafe or the food hub. We weigh everything that comes through the door so that we know how much food we've saved for a landfill. Then we get creating into whatever the chefs are going to cook for that day. We actually rent the spaces that we have. So we, do, we have to get out all of the stuff in the morning to set the cafe up. Um, and then at the end of the day, we'll pack it all away. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so we have about 70 visitors that come through the door within the two hours. So I think that's one of the catch lines of the cafe is feed bellies, not bins. And I think to, to have 70 bellies coming through that get the food is, is, I mean, it's amazing how many people are fed. It is, yes. And what's the atmosphere like? Give us a sense of the kind of the noise and the... Um... Oh, it's very buzzing, yeah. I've actually named my Wednesday WhatsApp group Wacky Wednesdays because we, <laughs> yeah, we, we just have a laugh, which is good. It's all good fun. It's a fun atmosphere as well, is it? Not, notwithstanding that, that people are in, find themselves in difficult circumstances, presumably, but there's a sense of fun and, and, and laughter as well. Yes, definitely. We, we try and sort of create a happy cafe so that it is, um, people can leave their troubles at the door. You know, even with the volunteers, everyone has their own reasons for coming through t- to help, whether it's to get out of the house and interact with people, have a cup of coffee and chat to someone you've never spoken to before. I suppose the sort of the, the original purpose was to sort of divert food from landfill into into bellies but there's a sort of a secondary benefit which is about kind of you know connection and community yes and what about you you you, well how do you benefit from it what do you get out of it well personally and I know a lot of my volunteers as well um they find it very rewarding for being able to help people interact with people um you know doing their bit for the community as well yeah so in lockdown we actually because all the cafes were closed, we turned into a COVID response team um, where all the different care homes, daycare yeah. centres and everything were closed. Uh, we've actually ramped up to seven days a week collecting for all the food that other charities weren't being able to collect. Before lockdown, we had about eight to ten volunteers. And then after lockdown, since then, we're up to about 70 volunteers and a waiting list. Yeah, well. people just really people getting to hear what we do and want to get involved. Yeah, because I, my role, which I mean, during lockdown, I was out as Claire was saying, we were driving and then meeting in Claire's um, 
Claire, outside Claire's flat car park with all this food laid out, then dividing it and then going off to different locations to go go and drop off. And now I just help out with the sort of social media posting and everything. But the, yeah. res- the responses that, you know, from the visitors that come, the mm. volunteers that come, it's, it's excellent, excellent part project to be no, involved with. So one of my volunteers the other day, she, she said, um, after 30 years of not wanting to cook, I've, I'm starting to enjoy cooking and creating. <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, so it's like learning a new, yeah, learning a new skill as well. Yes, that's Brilliant. right. Mm. And thinking on your feet as well, because sometimes something will go wrong or the soup doesn't taste right. And all of a sudden I'll just run in the kitchen and go, right, let's have this, let's chuck this bit of this in and then da 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 da. Yeah, I put some hummus in there and the people are looking at me going, what? I'm such a seriously. Just... <laughs> <laughs> <But> it's, <laughs> <brilliant. fix> it. <laughs> I remember also that there were, especially during lockdown as well, there were some of the restaurants who were having mm. to throw away stock that was about to go. And then they were calling, they were going, we we don't want to throw this away, but the cafe, that our restaurant isn't going to be open. And they were bringing mm. crates of the most amazing ingredients together that mm. then the cafe was cooking back and releasing back out again. So it was just all these little pockets of the community are all brought together through through this project. Definitely. I mean, one call I had was, um, <clears throat> "Is that Claire? I've got five hundred ready meal, frozen ready meals. Can you can you shift them? <laughs> so, I'm on my way. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I was phoning care homes. I was uh, working myself a route out. I was literally just turning up and knocking on people's doors with boxes of food. <laughs> as Amelia says, you've connected other projects and businesses as well. Yeah. Have you got any sort of specific stories of individuals who you've you've helped p- people that come as as customers who? for whom you've become a lifeline. I mean, there must be examples. I can only imagine there, there are examples mm. of people, you and the volunteers, that are quite possibly the only friendly faces they they see in their day. It's a gentleman that comes to our Thursday, and I just bumped into him in in Hampton. I said, oh, hello, how are you? And he looked at me and he was like, and I said, you come to the food project? He said, oh, I do. He said, but I haven't been coming because I, I'm ill and I've been, I'm not eating. He said, I don't eat for a week sometimes. So I said, well, come down, have some soup, you know. He said, oh, well, I'm going to pop down. So he's been coming every week um, and he's, he'll sit there, have a chat with us for an hour or so. He'll drink the soup and then he'll take one to take home with him. He picks up a few little bits um, and he's now looking much better. He's feeling better with, you know, and he used to love cooking, but mm. through circumstances and everything, he's he just didn't want to cook for himself and wasn't eating. So, but now because he's not overwhelmed by going into a shop, you know, when you've got too much and you just don't know what you want, he can come have a chat with us, have a little conversation about whatever food he's picking up to take with him, whatever he, you know, he fancies without having to spend money on stuff that he's going to waste Mm. because it's already going to the, you know, to landfill. Mm. So, um, but now we've sort of reignited his passion for cooking um, and to actually want to eat as well, which is lovely. And he he comes and he says, "Oh, thank you so much." He said, "I always feel so welcome here." And this, you know, this is this is that he says this is the only reason I get out of bed on oh. a Thursday is to come to have a chat with us. And oh, have wonderful! Some food. You know, you are a cure for loneliness, in, in, as well as the the hub for diversion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Claire, how with all this work that you're doing, how does that really make you um feel on a on a day to day being involved in that? Um I feel really blessed to be able to be in a position to help people um and do things that I love. I, I love helping people, I love <clears throat> making people smile. 
makes me feel humble as well. I mean, there's a lot of there are there are a lot of people now. I mean, the the dynamics have changed so much in the cafe since we first opened. Like you said, you know, a lot of people that before lockdown were just keeping their heads above water and being able to pay the bills. You know, are you can see the difference of the need. You know, um, what I really don't like to have to do is when we first um, opened up. We had so much bread and so much excess of stuff that we were saying, take as much as you like, fill your bags. And But now we're having to sort of say, look, I'm really sorry, but there's 70 people behind you, 40 people behind you. So we have to, you know, ration people, which is, that mm. really doesn't make me feel good. But in a way it does because we're making sure that we're fair for everybody that comes through the door. Mm. You mentioned earlier on, didn't you, that you weigh the food that comes in Every we day. Do. So, how much yep. how much food have you diverted from uh, landfill and into people's tummies? So we've um, since we've opened, we've saved 132 tons of food from landfill. It's incredible. I mean, that's up until September, so that's not a current current figure, but it's so it's over 30, 132 tons. Yeah, amazing. As in bellies. Yeah, how um, many bellies? The figure that we've actually recorded is twenty seven and a half thousand, but that's only that's only with the um, <clears throat> the counting of people coming through the door. We haven't actually counted in the other projects that we then deliver on to, like Spear and the mm. food banks and places like that. So the number is probably at least half again or double. Oh, yeah. it's incredible. Incredible yeah. project. I know. It's, I have to pinch myself sometimes. Yeah. Claire, a, a last question for you. If I imagine I gave you like a, a sort of a magic button, um, a bit like the sort of the X Factor gold buttons, that sort of thing, and okay. you and you could press it and make a wish come true for the real junk food project. Um, what what would you make happen, and, and, and perhaps more importantly, why? Um, I would like us to have our own space, our own cafe, with some, you know, decent storage. We could have big chest freezers and um, somewhere where we could just literally walk in and get going rather than having to work around other people in their spaces. We're back where we started, aren't we? A new, a, a new home. <laughs> like a new home, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Claire, thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much for joining us thank and you. taking some time out of your out of your day off to, to, and in between <laughs> packing. That's all right. Well, thank you. It's been lovely. So an amazing guest with an inspiring story. So many parallels between what Claire's been doing in Twickenham and what Helen Kingston and her army of volunteers have been doing up in Froome. Um, Amelia, right at the start, we asked the question, why do we need the company of others? I've really enjoyed exploring some of the answers to that. I hope you have too. There's so many things that we could take away from the conversation today. But if I had to put you on the spot, Amelia, what's the one thing that leaps out at you from today's conversation? For me, the one takeaway would be that small acts of kindness really do make the difference. What about you, Jez, throwing that back at you? I think, for me, it's quite a personal one. There is a chap that lives on my road who is on his own and who I'm going to spend more time checking in on. We'll hold you to account and ask you up about that later on. And I do feel like this is a topic that we could talk about for (laughs) hours and hours. Um, And it certainly is a very thought-provoking conversation. But that does bring us to the end of our very first episode of the Being Human podcast. And we look forward to more conversations. You've been listening to the Being Human podcast. Brought to you by Just Add Water. 
nurturing individual brilliance, forging collective strength. Do you enjoy that, Amelia? Yeah, definitely. It was good fun, wasn't it? Well, look, in the spirit of being human, mm. here are some of the bits that didn't make the final edit. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I ask you the question? Yeah. So what do you... Um, sorry, I've forgotten the question. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Jez. That's all I can... Shut it. <laughs> you see what I'm working with, Chris? Hello, I'm... A... Oh, God. How would you say hello normally? <laughs> oh, dear. Loo break, loo break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.